I find myself waking out of sleep, talking with somebody. And um, this happens more often than I would have thought. This is Living While Dying, an ALS story from Minnesota Public Radio News. I'm Kathy Warzer. The brutally cold Minnesota winter of 2014 was starting to wane when Bruce Kramer began talking about the mystical dreams he had been having. Throughout his struggle with ALS, Bruce would have vivid dreams where he would see and feel himself walking or biking. He'd wake up thinking he had been cured. Reality was a crushing disappointment. He called them ALS dreams, and after a time they were joined by nocturnal visions, images that seemed quite real to him, dreams of angels and loved ones who had passed on. I have come to um, some really just very comforting knowledge. For example, you know, and I, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get um, hyper-religious here, but the fact that energy doesn't disappear is quite comforting. It dissipates, goes elsewhere. But um, I've been doing a lot of thinking about people that have gone before me and how easily I can call them back and um, how easily I feel their presence, not physically, but almost energetically. Are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of taking this next step at all? No. No. I was afraid of sadness. And I'm sad. But, I mean, let's be honest. I'd, if I had my choice, I'd take another 22 years. I'd take another 32 years, I think. But, but that's not to me. And really, in the scheme of things, the great scheme of things, 30 years is an eye blink. It's nothing. But what, what is something is this millisecond together that we have. That's what means something. And that's part of the wrestling. It's not forcing the meaning. It's being open to it. Laying yourself out to being open because it requires enormous vulnerability. Kathy, I've been so privileged to see this work, um, to know other people that have gone before me, that it's worked for, to meet people, angelic people, in their own right, who are so wrapped in their own love, and that ALS is not, ALS doesn't triumph. Yes, it takes the body, but it doesn't win. So I couldn't be afraid. That sounds as if you are, you're really preparing then for the next step. I don't know what the next step is. So I think what it really is, in a way it's kind of like yoga. You put a boundary up and you breathe into that boundary and try to fill it. And not knowing where the next boundary is. And I don't know where the next boundary is. The ultimate boundary will be the death of my body. But I, I have just enough wild metaphysical belief to um, 
have great faith that something goes on. And um, I, you know, I have, I have um, said to Ev that it's easy to close your eyes and, and remember the love of your father. And there it is. It's right there. And um, she will have that from me. My kids, I hope, will have that from me. So it's, um, I think in a lot of ways, I'm, the wrestling is trying to reconcile the human pettiness that I carry, all of us carry, with the grand scheme of things being this overarching love that we join. And um, that's hard work. It's hard work. In the course of our many conversations for Minnesota Public Radio, Bruce and I didn't do an especially deep dive into how religion or faith in a higher power supported him as he moved through ALS. Bruce was a man of faith, but he felt that talking about religious beliefs could obscure for listeners some of the lessons he had learned since being diagnosed with the fatal disease in 2010. That said, Bruce and his wife regularly attended services at the Good Samaritan United Methodist Church in the Minneapolis suburb of Edina, Minnesota. Bruce always loved Holy Week, where, for Christians, it's a time to mark Christ's crucifixion, death, and resurrection. He said, in spite of its darkness, he felt Holy Week is a story where each of us can find some element to relate to. It was Palm Sunday, April 13, 2014, when Bruce delivered that morning's sermon to a packed church with his wife, Ev, sitting by his side, turning the pages of a reflection of his life with ALS. Three and a half years ago, and dis-ease brought me to the precipice. Will I live into the life I have been given or die in anger, frustration, grief? I didn't hear any answers from God, at least not at first. But Kramer kept asking and questioning and pondering in the months after the initial blow of the diagnosis, and he's continued his personal exploration, which has taken a different turn of late. So I have been wrestling with angels. That vivid metaphor is from the Bible. Depending on the interpretation, it's about Jacob's struggle with a man, an angel, or God. The story could be understood as Jacob confronting his failures, weaknesses, and sins, and facing God. Humans have some history with angel wrestling. And it's an experience where, generally, you come out of it a little wounded, but you also come out of it a little stronger. I'm doing a lot of thinking about um, how moving through ALS into its final phases works, and I'm assuming that that's part of part of it. And then, of course, you know, there's the there are the physical needs of a body that continues to to break down and. I keep working that with the very good people at Mayo. What kind of physical issues are manifesting themselves at this point? I have very little 
strength left in my hands, and my hands fatigue easily. And so my wheelchair is difficult to drive. I feel my voice weakening, and I feel softer, much softer. And um, I, I think a lot of that is just not being able to get the air underneath. It's headed south, and that, of course, can be troubling. So we're working on putting in a light signaling here because I can't always make myself heard um, if my caregiver's in another room. Little things like that. These are just things to, that you just don't think about until you're there. People who've been with us during our conversations, Bruce, are probably thinking to themselves, how are you then mentally processing these changes? You know, I, I'm in such a good space. I wrestle with angels, but I also commune with them. And um, some of them are in human form. I have so many good friends who help take care of me. And I have so many um, great moments with my family. They're very good at um, remembering that I'm still in the room, even when, when I feel really quiet. I feel just surrounded by love. Getting back to that biblical story of Jacob and the angel, the Bible says Jacob, having wrestled with the angel all night, then asked him for his blessing. It was a request for something similar that led to an extraordinary moment for Bruce and his family. It was the Nobel Peace Prize Forum in Minneapolis back in March. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama, the 1989 winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, was one of the keynote speakers. And in the auditorium, toward the front of the stage, sat Bruce and his family. Toward the end of the question and answer session, the Dalai Lama was asked to confer his blessing on the audience. Blessing? Of course, I'm Buddhist. So, sometimes I'm a little bit skeptical about so-called blessing. Uh, blessing must come from our own action, our own motivation. A blessing comes through one's actions and one's motivation, which was a beautiful answer. After that last answer, the Dalai Lama rose from his seat, but instead of walking to the nearby podium for an honorary presentation... He began walking toward the opposite end of the stage, pointing to where Bruce Kramer sat in the darkness. How would he know I was there? And then to point to me like, there you are, what are you doing over there? Like he'd known me all his life. In an unscripted moment, someone from the audience behind Kramer handed the holy man a snow-white silk scarf. Oh, and then the scarf, scarf, the scarf which the Dalai Lama held to his forehead for a few moments. He then handed it to Bruce Kramer and said, Meanwhile, my blessing. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. For a week after, Kramer wrestled with the question, What's it like to be blessed by the Dalai Lama? And then I realized he didn't bless me at all. That's not what that was about. It was what he had talked about earlier. A blessing is in one's action and one's motivations. And it's a charge. What blessings will you give? 
my blessing, dot, 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 not my blessing, period. And it has caused me to wonder how as my body becomes weaker and weaker and weaker that I can bring healing in a world that so clearly needs healing. And I, I realized in many ways it was like reminding me of a purpose that I took on more years ago than I want to admit when I became a teacher. You don't become a teacher because you are interested in the money. You become a teacher because your purpose is to help people become their potential, the best that you can help them be at the time that you're with them. And I admit, in my life, I lost sight of that at times. But that has really clarified with ALS that my role now as a human being is to offer healing as I try to tell you what it's like to die. Meanwhile, my blessing, get out there and get to work. So I have come to the conclusion that he was telling me that I'm not done and that I'm not done until I'm finished. That blessing by the Dalai Lama happened on March 1st, 2014 in Minneapolis. It happened to have been Bruce Kramer's 58th birthday. I was the moderator of that Nobel Prize event and watched Bruce's emotional reaction and that of everyone around him from the stage as His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, bestowed a blessing on Bruce. In a sad twist to that day, I had to quickly leave after that event to get to my dying father's bedside. My dad died a few hours after I arrived. Three days later was Ash Wednesday, the start of Lent. Bruce Kramer was right. The Lenten story has elements many of us can relate to. For me, the messages of despair, death, and then rebirth hit especially hard. On the next Living While Dying, an ALS story, Bruce confronts the neurologist who gave him the news that was to change his life. 